let me start just right off the bat and say, and, and some of these questions will address this. So let, me, let me just mention one thing briefly. It really, 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 really looks like we are in the time just prior to Jesus' return. How many would agree with that? So I've been, I mean, it's weird for me to say that because I've been in Jesus. This will be my 46th year, September, and I've been saying that all my life. But never had world situations uncannily work out the way they are now. And they're agreeing with Scripture so well. And so everything is unstable. Everything's crazy. Ukraine situation's going on. Let me see. I guess I could say a little bit. Y'all want to hear something about Ukraine? Don't believe the media a second. In fact, maybe believe the opposite because it's a, it's a oh, I don't even know how to describe what it is. I could use adjectives, but I won't. Except to say, if you know the history of that part of the world, Ukraine, uh, Kazaria was the old name of that landmass that is now occupied by Ukraine. And the Kazarian people are actually descendants of the mongrels. And uh, so they've been in the area of the world for a long time. But the history of this landmass and the people that have inhabited is, uh, uh, wow. Um, let me see, some the adjective deception. Uh, deception. This people group, the Khazarians, were known uh, to, to grab somebody's um, name and and actually use it in a deceptive way, like like take all of their personal stuff, like somebody would go on the line and 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 take your stuff and take your your social security number, take your name and 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 be you, you know, and make you. Well, that's that's them. Uh, the other part that's really strange of the history of Kazarian, the Kazarians, is that um, actually, if you go do the history, um, they actually invaded Russia. 1914, the Bolshevik Revolution, 1917, they're the dudes that came in, go check it out. Now, this is really interesting, isn't it? So uh, there's more there than meets the eye. Uh, they have been involved in, not all of them, but, but they've been known for this in history. They've been involved in the demonic world uh, with uh, ritualistic demonic sacrifices for, for uh over a thousand years, uh, terrible. And they've used that in all kinds of ways. So there are people today that are in cahoots with them that are, are doing things behind the scenes uh, that you're seeing talked about in all kinds of ways in the news. So everything is not the way that it appears is all I can say. And I do think that perhaps uh, read a lot and, you know, you got to do this. When you read stuff, I don't believe carte blanche everything anybody says. And I take it with a grain of proverbial salt. And I say, well, that's an interesting concept. wonder if that's so. So I listen. I, I listen to things. I read things. And I'm able to just say, okay, that's interesting. I, I don't know if it's so or not. I can't preach that, but that's interesting. So I'm doing the same thing with that. It does seem as though right now, the world is becoming destabilized as a result of this. Uh, I guess you've, I don't know how, where you get your information from, but again, I get it from lots of sources. And here's a few things that are, are the results of, of the attack of Russia against Ukraine. These are pinpointed 
attacks on certain things within the the Ukraine. I'll just say it that way. And there's a bit. I just don't. Have, I don't want to talk about it a long time. But there's just so much there. So uh, the uh, uh, after effects right now, Russia has cut off exports from their their country. That means food and all kinds of things that people need and use uh, in industry and such. Palladium is made, I found out, in Ukraine, uh, as well as some other products for the IT world, uh, microchips and such. And I think a good percentage of some of these uh, substances comes from there. Uh, there's going to be probably some supply chain disruptions as a result. Uh, the food supply is challenged right now. Large portion of uh, Europe's wheat comes from Russia, Ukraine area. Hungary just cut off their exports of wheat to other nations in the Europe area there. So, you know, the, will these things affect us? Probably. So, um, oil, gas, uh, it's really sad what's happened with the uh, oil situation in America. We were energy independent a year, a little over a year ago. Y'all realize that, right? So you say what you want to about that, it's just nuts is what I think. So, you know, uh, what I'm hearing, gas going to hit six bucks a gallon or so. Uh, they say and by summer, but might be before then. You know, go check it out if you got to get gas on the way home. I don't know. I know it's over four right now. So how many know God meets your needs? So what you don't need to be doing is belly aching. Why is it? No, just say, you know what, Father? I don't care if it's $20 a gallon, but my God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. It does seem to be fulfilling Bible prophecy, Revelation 6, some of the, uh, with the four horse, horses of the apocalypse, one of them, you know, it was, uh, it was pestilence, it was, um, it was famine, uh, and it said uh, a, a loaf of bread cost a day's wage. Well, here we are. So you can see a radical price increases resulting from energy costs spiraling, um, uh, and, and just the hardship on the shipping industry and all that, all that plays into uh, supply chain train disruptions. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. So really it is a time to, you know, not be afraid and scared, but to be prepared. Now, other people are saying, is it okay to talk about this? Do y'all want to hear this? So Jesus is coming back, y'all, and, and this may play into some of that, but... Um, uh, you know, there are those that are saying that um, um, they're talking about the nuclear deal. I, I mentioned in the prayer meeting Saturday, you can go to ready, R-E-A-D-Y ready.gov. It's a government website. And they actually start the website with the word nuclear explosion. So they're telling people what to do in the event of a nuclear explosion because uh, the president of Russia has uh, gone to his people and actually going to his military, and they are on the highest state of alert for the deployment of nuclear weapons. They're high. And they've been preparing their people. They have fallout shelters like we had in the early 60s. We don't do anything to prepare for anything now, but they did then. And, um, uh, and they've also been, uh, been uh, giving their, their populace potassium iodide. Did you hear, have you heard any of this? Yeah, they've been doing that. So uh, potassium iodide is what you take in the event that there's a nuclear explosion and so your thyroid won't, won't absorb it and then you die from all the problems with radiation. You just take one. So anyway, um, so they're doing that and so a lot of people, some people are saying that there could be nuclear attacks. Some people are really scared about I'm not scared about it. Are you scared about that? Just be aware. Um, I'm not. I... Um, 
I just believe that God will take care of us. I, I can see some of that stuff maybe happening later on, but not yet and, and uh, not right now. Maybe maybe at some point in the future, there could be some of that. In the next world war, uh, anything I've read that people say will probably include uh, nuclear weaponry. So just be aware it's a crazy time. It's not a time to worry. It is a time to prepare. I say it's a Joseph's time. So if something happened and disrupted electricity, disrupted the supply chain, trucks couldn't get to a grocery store because of some event, then have, don't live. I've seen people do this. They come and get off work at 4.30. They're at, the, they're at the grocery store at 5, and they're buying what they're going to eat tonight or tomorrow night. Don't, don't be doing that. I mean, if you knew that, it's okay, but have some extra at home. So, you know, buy you some staple goods and have them. I've been saying this forever. If you're not doing it, you're behind. I'm just going to be straight up with you. So, so you know, have, uh, have some extra water and, uh, you know, have a way to take care of your family if, if in the event you go to the grocery store and it's empty. Like when you have a hurricane or whatever uh, or a snowstorm, you go to the grocery store, ain't nothing on the shelf. Have you noticed? And we're having problems now. We had problems finding chicken for the men's retreat. So, I mean, we had to go to several places just to find chicken, uh, chicken breast, I guess. So, uh, uh, anyway, it is what it is. So, be aware and be wise and prepare. Does that make sense? So, uh, anyway, uh, a lot going on with that. A lot could be said. Uh, again, I, it's not a time to be afraid. I think this is a year of volatility in my heart. I, I, you know, I have to tell you, I have the peace of God. Do you? I literally, even though I'm hearing all this stuff, it's like, oh, I'm going to be okay. We're building this building. We're doing what we're doing. I do want to read this as I'm wandered right into that. And I probably said more than I had wanted to or planned to. Let me get this thing open. I did want to read this. This is really interesting. Um, I got three scriptures. I'll read one. And I mentioned this Sunday, Luke 17, 26, the same things that happened in the days of Noah, Jesus said, will take place in the days of the Son of Man, that is when he returns. Now, I mentioned this first service Sunday. I don't think I mentioned it second service. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, and they were giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark and the devastating flood came and swept them all away. So the idea was, in some way, life continued as normal until t- the time the judgment came. And that's what's going to happen now. You know, when Jesus comes back, when the rapture of the church occurs, we're going to be, you know, you're going to be going to work. Your kids are going to be going to school. You got, you got to cook, you know, supper at night. You got to get your you bag lunch ready for the next day. You're just doing stuff, you know, just like everybody else. And then suddenly things happen. That's what happened in Noah's day. That's what happened in Lot's day. Jesus said later on down in the same passage, um, he went on to say here, the days of the Son of Man will be compared to the days of Lot. I don't know why. um, Lot, uh, um, there. The people of that time lived their lives as normal. They got married, raised families, built homes, businesses, yet they were totally unaware of what was coming until the day Lot departed from Sodom. I mean, so, uh, you know, people were doing what they want to do, right or wrong. They were doing what they want to do until the day the lot left. And then uh, he goes on to say, uh, the sky opened uh, the rain, and rained fire and burning sulfur upon them, destroying everyone and everything they had built. So it will be in the day of the unveiling of the Son of Man, in the day of my appearing, if one is outside. And then he talks about the fact that some will be affected and others won't. So just be ready, be prepared. That seems to be the wisdom of the hour. Uh, I do like First Chronicles twelve thirty two. Uh, this was a time that David was running from Saul. He had army. He had guys who were really skilled, um, skilled um, 
warriors that were helping him. And it was explaining these warriors, First Chronicles 12.32, from the tribe of Issachar. And it describes, I love this tribe, there were 200 leaders of the tribe with their relatives. And then it says this about them. This is New Living Translation. It says, all the men understood the signs of the times and, the, and knew the best course for Israel to take. Now, 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 that's what I want. Don't you want to be that? Here, here's guys who, who knew, they understood what was going on. They understood the battles between Saul and David. They understood what was going on and they knew the best course of action. So I'm just telling you, I've been praying this and I encourage you to James 1, 5, if any man lack wisdom or woman, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally without showing favoritism. So I ask God for wisdom. Um, God gave me this, and I have I mentioned this publicly Tuesday with the men, and I have never said a peep about this verse, I don't think. Jeremiah 6, 27. Um, in fact, King James says, I have uh, made you a tower and fortress among my people that you may know and try their way. God gave me that when I was six months old or so, and the Lord said, Mitz, that's you. And I didn't realize it's for now. It's for the end times. And, you know, my mother came up to me years ago and said, Mitch, you know, you're an end time pastor. I said, I don't know what that is, man. And I was like 18, 19. Well, I kind of get it now, but, you know, it's just trying to get people ready for what's coming. Um, I've made you a tester among my people. Uh, one translation says an assayer or a person who tests metals for impurities. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so that you may have knowledge of the way and put it to test. So, you know, we just need people that can keep us on the straight and mirror. Don't be messing with that. Don't be doing that. Go this way. That's one of my jobs as a pastor again. We'll talk about preparation. It's a Joseph time. Uh, and I want to say this. This is really a time, uh, if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, come and see me after the meeting. Get filled with the Holy Ghost. Pray in the Spirit every day. Now, I'm making sure, let me tell you why. I'm making sure I pray in the Spirit every day. Uh, because there is the wisdom of God that comes when you pray in the Spirit. Don't forget, when you pray in the Spirit, according to four, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 2, verses 13, 14, Romans 8, 26, 27, uh, when you pray in the Spirit, you're praying the will, mind, purpose, and plan of God. Perhaps both for, for your life, the circumstances that affect you and others. So I don't know a better way to pray than praying in the Spirit. My experience with this is, without going to a gargantuan detail, which I could, it's that when you pray in the Spirit, uh, it, it, it sets in motion an ability to hear God and an ability for the plans of God for your life to work out. Um, 1 Corinthians 2.11, who can understand a man's inmost thoughts except the spirit of man himself. Now listen, so, so there are things that my, your spirit person knows, my spirit person knows that, that your head doesn't know. Your spirit knows things your head doesn't know about you and about the future because in your spirit is the Holy Spirit and he already knows the plan and what's gonna happen. So when you're praying in the spirit, listen, you're, you're tapping into the wisdom of God and you're, you're opening up a vein in your life of information that is not available to everybody all the time. And you're also praying out the will of God for your life and maybe for the people that are, are around you. So when you're praying in the spirit, your mind is saying you're wasting time. The enemy is saying you're stupid. Other people are saying you're crazy. You're babbling. You're a fool. God says you're praying out his will. And my experience over the past 
45 and a half years is praying in the spirit. I mean, I stumble up on things that, that I think, well, God, that's pretty good. Why didn't I think of that? I mean, things just happen. I'm tell, like this building that's being built right here. Y'all, I could never, ever have figured out that we're doing that with the world like this. You get that? It's taking time, but it's just amazing. So I've had things in my life just kind of work out, and I'm sure I, I look back and say, hmm, it's because I was praying in the Spirit because I'm not that smart. I'm not that smart. You get what I'm saying? So you need to be doing this because we're going into some funky times. I don't know what to tell you. It's crazy times. I'm not kidding. I mean, it's squirrely. It's, uh, it's like a, you know, it's like the ocean. If you're on a, if you're on a, if you're on a 60 foot boat and you got 12 foot waves, dude, you're, you better get a bucket. <laughs> Cause, uh, it'll make your stomach upset. So we're, we're in some real volatile situations. So pray. Y'all okay? I have a strange way of putting things in. Here's some questions. Uh, number one, in the midst of prayer, people have sent these and asked me. So this is about Sunday's ministry. I thought, let me just say, uh, sometimes on Sundays, I feel like I'm a bit strong and, and it feels strong to me because I have a pastor's heart. But I feel the press of the Holy Ghost to make things as plain as they can possibly be and to challenge people where they're living. A lot of people, now listen, I've, I've had several people I've read after Marianne Baxter just died recently. Y'all know who that is? Uh, she had a divine revelation of hell. She actually went to hell and saw it. Uh, Kenneth Hagin went to hell and saw it. And then several others have in recent years. And they've said they've seen church people in hell. Well, why is that? Because they have a form of godliness and deny the power of it. It never changes their life. It never translates into a lived life. Uh, they just, you know, all, if all you do is parent the name Jesus, well, I'm saved, but you, but you never you know, make it a part of you, you, you might not be because Jesus said not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So just something to think about, right? <laughs> so I'm doing tonight so we can kind of put some shoe leather on this stuff. But Sundays I feel a little strong because I'm, I'm pressing people, I'm pushing. It's probably not pressing you because you're here on Wednesday night, but it's pressing people, I can tell you. Um, anyway, so, so we're answering some questions about Sunday. So here we are. Here's number one. And I can go through these probably fairly quickly tonight if I can find the beginning. Here we are. In the midst of persecution, number one, is every is it ever okay to fight back or do we simply let it happen? So people persecute you for your faith. Do you ever, do you ever say, wait just a minute? No. Uh, Matthew 5.10 says this, God blesses those who are persecuted to do and right for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Verse 11, God blesses you when people mock you, persecute you, lie about you, say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad. New Living Translation. Uh, For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. So the idea here is if you're persecuted because you're a believer and people say things and do things to you, let them do it. And smile real big while they're doing it. Because he said, Great is your reward in heaven. And the angels are talking about you in heaven. Look at there, look at there. We got one that believes the way we do. Matthew 5, 39, Jesus said, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. Uh, if you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles That goes against the flesh real bad, y'all. Can't you feel it rising up? Mm. Give to those who ask. Don't turn away from those who want to borrow. So 
Again, the context of this is if somebody persecutes you because you're a believer, because of your stance about Jesus, the Bible, the gospel, how you live, what you believe, uh, then, then you're, to, you're to take that. You're to, uh, they hit your cheeks, say, how about that one? Hit it hard. Give it your best shot. How about this one? So, but where do you draw the line? Well, I'm just going to tell you where I'll draw the line and you can think about it what you want. You can mess with me because of what I preach and teach and believe and live. But if you touch my family, like my daddy used to say, you better let the Lord take care of you because I'm going to tear you up. (laughs) Does that make sense? So there is a place for you to protect your family. If somebody comes to rob your house and kill you, friend, you know, might help you make find Jesus early. So just be aware. Be wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. Then don't take that too far. But I'm just saying, I'm gonna protect me. I'm gonna protect my family. So don't be putting a mask on coming in the middle of the night, coming in my house. Number one, my dog can take take one of your legs off. And I promise you, you're not gonna be walking out well. You get it? Because it's in the middle of the night. You after my family. So that's different than persecution. Does that make sense? All right, number two, I was pretty plain. What is the solution for people from other countries believing, bringing their beliefs and religions here? Now, there is a phenomenon with the uh, modern world and with the advent of easy transportation, uh, not only airline flights, but ships and all that for the last, what, 150 years or so, at least a little over 100 years for sure. Uh, ease of transportation has brought a term called pluralism to the nations of the world. And heretofore, heretofore, I mean, it's a couple of hundred years ago, you, you're born in the village, you stay in that village. You, you, know everybody, you know everybody's mama, daddy, grandma, aunts, uncles, cousins, nephews, cats, dogs, uh, cows, chickens, and everything. And, but it's not that way now. And now, because of transportation and the ease of it, the world is a mixed-up hodgepodge of people of all kinds of belief systems from everywhere landing in the same location called a country. And we call that pluralism. Pluralism means there are people who live together with varying belief systems. Now, that sounds good. And let me say that those who believe in the one world ideology are pushing for that right now. And let me say a lot of the stuff behind Ukraine is one world stuff trying to happen. Did you hear what I said? So, but the people behind the one world ideology think, well, let's just get people from everywhere and mix them all together. That way, nobody has a standard, standardized belief system. Uh, and, and we just going to have everybody love everybody. We're not going to have any borders to any nations. All the nations are going to be the same. They're all going to be mixed up. And, and then we just have a one world government. Does that make sense? That's what they want to do. That's what the devil wants to do. So figure it out. People that want to do that, maybe you could say, are of the devil. Yes or no? So when you vote, figure it out. Don't vote for a person that believes in globalism. Pastor ain't supposed to be talking about politics. I'm talking Bible right now. If you want a free nation, Don't vote for a person that'll let the Antichrist take all your rights away. If you do, I'll just be real. I think you're dumb as dirt. I don't know how else to say it. 
Now, you can challenge me on that and say, well, I I don't like you saying I'm dumb as dirt for voting for a globalist. And then my answer would be, if you vote for a person who is a globalist, who believes in a one-world government, a one-world digital currency, a one-world belief system, and a a one-world of civic laws and rules that governs every world, you are in league with what the Bible calls the son of perdition, uh, the man called Antichrist. And that's a setup and that's a ploy. So if you vote for somebody like that, I don't know what to say. You're not smart if you're a believer and do that. And I would hate to stand before Jesus and he'd look at me and say, why'd you do that? Why'd you do what? Why did you vote for the man to rule you that, that, that I had to dispossess when I come back? What you, what you gonna say? Well, I just thought it was the right thing to do. Well, you know what? He might say, you need to get your mind renewed, right? So uh, what is the solution for people uh, from other countries bringing their beliefs and religions here? I understand it's a problem, but what can be done about it? So, I mean, really the goal is there's really nothing you're going to do about it at this point except vote for, you know, people in our government who understand the world uh, use practical wisdom and common sense. But, you know, as, as our nation changes and the populace of our nation changes, then, you know, we got challenges. So, so look on the other side of the coin. Our, our number one goal for every person we meet in the world is evangelism, sharing Jesus with him. Yes or no? So, so that's, that's the whole goal, First Peter 3.15. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. He said, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they'll be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. So pluralism brings problems to every nation. But the solution for us as believers is it's a means of evangelism. So I don't know any way to curtail that. I don't think there really is any way at this point because of the way the world is set up. But we should have evangelism as our goal in sharing Jesus with the people around us. Number three, uh, this is Sunday. You spoke of people who sin so much in an area that they become numb to it uh, or uh, uh, they lie so much, do drugs so much, have affairs so much that it means nothing to them anymore. Is there any hope for people in this situation? That is, they do something so much that sin is not sin to them. And they have no, he's talking about a callous, conscienceless person. And there are people who are callous and conscienceless, and I've given some illustrations of that. And over the years of my life, I've met people who are callous and conscienceless. They say and do things that they know are wrong. The Bible says it's wrong. If they've been a believer any length of time, they know it's wrong, but they don't have any conscience and they just keep doing it. That's a person, that's a person with, with, a, with a very hard heart. His question here is, is there any hope? He says, have you seen people, or her, I don't know who did this question. Have you seen people like this that get free even though they think they already are? So here's a person who's walking with God, but they're bound with something. Can they be free? Well, the obvious answer is yes. Uh, And here's the scripture, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Don't you realize those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourself. See, some people fool themselves thinking they can continue in certain behaviors. And then Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, he's got something else to say. Don't fool yourselves. Don't you realize those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Those who indulge in sexual sin." or worship idols, or commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, this is New Living Translation, or commit adultery, um, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or greedy people, drunkards, abusive, 
or cheat people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were like this, uh, once like this, but you're cleansed, you're made holy, you're made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, you know, some of us in the room been some of this, maybe been all of it, I don't know, but now you know Jesus sets you free. Isn't that good? And we have no past in Christ. And then Galatians 6, one, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. So he's saying help a person that's fallen into a, the trap of the enemy and fallen into the flesh and, and something that the culture around them says is okay when God says it isn't. And then here's a real challenging one here from 1 Corinthians 5. This is New King James. It's actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you. And he's talking to church people here. And such sexual immorality is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. I mean, he's, he's, he's with his stepmother. And you're puffed up and have you not rather mourn that he has done this deed might be taken away from among you? For I indeed as absent in body but present in spirit have already judged as though I were present him who has done this deed in the name of the Lord Jesus uh, Christ when you're gathered together along with my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Deliver such a one to Satan. Whew. For the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. What's he saying? Well, what he's really saying there is a spiritual overseer. If somebody is, is, is sinning and saying, it's okay for me to do that, and they know the Bible says it's not, and they're hanging out with other believers, and other believers are looking at them, well, look at there, look what they're doing. I used to do that when, before I came to Jesus, but they're still doing that. It must be all right. Well, it says the spiritual overseer has authority to say, Satan, have Adam, but you can't, you can't take their spiritual life. Have Adam. That means, Father, take away your supernatural protection. May they get sick. That's tough. Maybe I shouldn't tell you this. I've done this two times in my life. Now, maybe I shouldn't tell you that. Pastor, you go, no, forget it. No, I love you. And both times, the, and there was reasons. Other people were affected. It was a bad situation, and it was like yeast in, in dough. It, was, it, it could spread. I did that. They got sick. It shocked the living daylights out of me. That's all I can tell you. I didn't tell anybody. I don't know if I ought to tell you, but I did it. And you know what happened? They repented both times. So don't get into mischief. How's that? Dear brothers and sisters, James 5, 19 to 20, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will, wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Can a person get out of a thing, a, a hole they've dug in, in sin? Yes, they can. That's the bottom line. I could talk about that a long time. There's, of course, ways to help a person that has fallen into the enemy's trap in the flesh or with cultural things. Number four, to be honest, I don't understand blaming the church for what our culture has become. I mean, it's mostly being, uh, being done by people who don't come to church so, and don't value God's word and don't care uh, what the church thinks or wants. Uh, then it seems that there are more who want to sin than those who want righteousness, so they vote in corruption. Please explain how that's our fault. So Sunday I said it's the church's fault if our, our nation who had has been godly, runs away. I said, 
God will lay it at the feet of the church in that nation. We're responsible for what happens to our nation because we're salt and we're light. If we lose our saltiness and if we lose our light, well, then our nation gets darker, darker, darker and starts having problems. So uh, this person says, I don't understand blaming the church for what our culture has become. Again, we're salt and we're light. And if we're living like we're supposed to, we should be affecting our culture. But if we're not affecting our culture, then that means as the kids grow up in school, if we're not challenging the school administrations on what they're believing and teaching in school, and if we're not if we're not challenging everything that goes on, then guess what? The judges will become corrupt. The mayors will become corrupt. The um, all of the all of the officials will become corrupt. The senators, the congressmen, uh, the governors, the um, Supreme Court, and then you got a mess, right? So upon whom does that responsibility fall most, the church? I said that because, again, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just cut to the chase. Hebrews 4, I mentioned Hosea 4, um, 4 through 6. Don't point your finger at someone else because Israel had left God. And then the prophet Hosea said, don't point your finger at someone else and try to blast the blame. My complaint, you priests, is with you. So the, the, the nation's crumbling, falling apart, falling into apostasy, falling away from God. He said, priest, it's your fault. It's your problem. Now, I said that Sunday because of what he said there. And I still I say it's true today. And so he said, uh, my people are being destroyed because, you, because they don't know me. Since you priest refuse to know me, I will refuse to recognize you as my priest. Since you've forgotten the laws of your God, I forgot to forget to bless your children. See, that blessing can end in a generation. Is that true? So we're responsible as believers. Now, I said, and now let me talk about this. I, I feel like I got something going on with this one and I'm gonna say it tonight and come back to it. Revelation chapter two, the Nicolaitans. You know anything about the Nicolaitans? Let me say this. The Nicolaitan gospel is being preached today. So let me read what I mean, Revelation 2, 12. Uh, and to the angel of the church in Pergamos, write these things, he says, he who has a sharp two-edged sword, I know your works, where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, you who fast in my name, did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you because um, you have there, he's talking about people in the church, those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Verse 15, thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I hate, which things I hate. What is the doctrine of uh, the Nicolaitans? There, I got to change screen. Listen, li listen to this. Y'all ready for this? I'm not sure you are. So let's, here's a commentary from Rick Renner. He did a research on this. He lives in, uh, he lives in Russia right now. Christ didn't hate these individuals whom he called Nicolaitans, but he certainly hated what they were teaching, uh, which was a doctrine of inclusiveness and compromise in the church. Unfortunately, this doctrine has re-emerged in recent years. In the church world today, there are some spiritual leaders who, like the Nicolaitans of the past, seek a dangerous truce with the world under the guise of inclusiveness and compromise. Many of these emerging spiritual leaders once held strong doctrinal positions upholding the Bible as true and absolute, but over time they've shaped their beliefs to meld 
with the changing moral climate of society in the process, in the process, they've produced a gospel very different from the one produced in the Bible. And listen to this. Here is the doctrine of the Nicolaitans being presented today, which is a doctrine of inclusiveness. Y'all want to hear this? Number one, no emphasis on holy living and and being separated from the world. Modern Nicolaitanism dresses itself in the guise of inclusivity. Rather than living separately from the world, those who espouse this view reason, since everyone is right and no one is wrong, both spiritually and morally, why should there be a need for separation? Leading denominational churches have taken the position that the time has come to help lesbians and homosexuals blend into the church community and lead holy lives among, uh, along with other church members. Sent, this sentiment mirrors the teaching of the Nicolaitans of the first century for these modern-day church leaders promote a message that will make them more acceptable with the multitude instead of one that will put them in opposition with the expectations of modern society. Whoa, is that tough? Number two, no emphasis on the doctrinal teaching of the Bible. Not modern Nicolaitanism dresses itself in the guise of progressivism. Dismissing much of the Bible as being too restrictive or exclusive of other people's beliefs. Do you hear this? Yes, you do, around. Instead of being a guide to absolute truth, the Bible is used merely as a reference for illustrations, motivational sermons inspirational ideas, principles to build a marriage or business and so on. Today, this trend is so rampant in the church that the basic tenets of the Christian faith are largely not known by most churchgoers, especially by those who are younger. Basic Bible doctrines such as the virgin birth, the sinlessness of Christ, sin, salvation, holiness, eternal judgment are often unknown, inadequately taught or considered optional where modern Nicolaitanism prevails. Sound doctrines replaced with social action, social justice and attempt to appeal to mass audiences by making them feel better about themselves. Thus, true doctrinal teaching of the Bible is diminished, replaced by different variants of watered down politically correct instruction. Number three, Y'all still here? This is interesting, right? Is it happening today? Good Lord. No emphasis on absolute truth or absolute biblical morality. Modern Nicolaitanism dresses itself in the guise of being open-minded. It cries that it is unfair and unjust to assert that beliefs alone are the absolute foundation for truth. Uh, Even if we believe what we believe, it makes allowances that we may be wrong or that others are equally right but with a different approach. To demonstrate how deeply this damaging influence has already permeated the church, it is a statistical fact, listen, that more than half of the evangelical Christians do not believe in absolute truth. These statistics, which reflect a general change in society and the church, are growing at such an alarming rate that they will no doubt be out of date by the time the first issue of this book is published. This was published a few, couple of years ago. To understand where this trend is headed, just hold an honest conversation with young people under the age of 25 and you will learn firsthand that many young people, even young Christian men and women, hold a negative view of people who adhere to absolute truth or absolute morality. Is that not facts? Now, I'm a pastor. We have people coming from the colleges and universities here. And you've, if, if you saw what I saw when I preach. I mean, just the the body language, the facial expressions, and I can feel it while I'm talking. 
And what I'm hearing is, dude, you're out of sync with modern culture. You don't know what you're talking about. You are antiquated. And I'm just preaching the Bible. That's Nicolaitanism. You get it? Number three, no exclusionary belief. What is this, three or four, whatever. No exclusionary belief that Christ alone is the way to heaven. Modern modern Nicolaitanism dresses itself in the guise of tolerance, asserting that everyone has a piece of the truth. It ultimately levels the playing fields and makes Christianity simply a truth among other truths. If the doctrine of Nicolaitanism is followed to its logical conclusion, it eventually leads to universalism, which is the belief that everyone and everything, even Satan in hell, will ultimately be reconciled to God. There was a pastor I know in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in the 80s when I lived there. He was widely known. He was known nationwide. He was an energetic guy. He was effervescent. This guy could preach circles around the average preacher. And he fell into universalism. And he's in it today. He lost his church. He was on a big board of an international ministry that you know. And he fell away. He fell away from God. And he preaches a doctrine of universalism. Nicolaitanism got hold of him. Somewhere in his life, he compromised. And whenever you compromise, my friend, you will always lose. How many hear me? According to this mindset, to categorically declare that Christ alone is the way to heaven is uh, to be nonsensical and intolerant. Christians who adhere to some Nicolaitan principles have not usually uh, followed this teaching to its ultimate conclusion and would be shocked if they did. Yet the doctrine of universalism is the inevitable destination at which this doctrine must eventually arrive. A recent survey conducted among one of the most Bible-based groups reveals that more than one-third of young Christians in America believe that adherence to the teachings of Jesus, Mohammed, Buddha, and other religious leaders all lead to heaven. We're often reminded that young people are the leaders of the next generation. If this is so, what then are the implications of these statistics for the next generation of the church? Isn't that something? So then I'm going to finish with this. Uh, There are many other indicators of modern Nicolaitanism, but these are the primary signs. These faulty beliefs reveal doctrinal ignorance and results in a powerless, weakened version of Christianity where sin is tolerated, separation is ignored, and the need for ongoing repentance is disregarded. Did you hear what I just said? Y'all, I have visited churches. And my inner man, I couldn't figure out what was going on, was grieved. Because people say they know Jesus and do it. they're doing things that in my younger years, you didn't do if you knew Jesus. But now suddenly, suddenly it's popular. And my friends, we're living there today. So the question was, when the pastor stopped preaching the word, the whole nation, nation, is affected. And right now, we have such problems in America that we see no way out of them. No politician can cure them. And it's going to take more than a preacher preaching because they're not listening to what's being said if they're preaching the word. How many hear what I just said? It's going to take a supernatural move of God to save America, or we are toast. Our enemies smell blood right now 
and the prosperity that we've enjoyed is evaporating before our eyes. Having said that, God Almighty, if you trust him, will cause you to land in the land of Goshen and cause you to live there and be blessed while all hell breaks loose around us. How many believe that? Yeah, I thought that was good preaching right there. <laughs> anyway, I, I got a lot more to say, but I'm done. I, I got a lot. I brought this out because somebody had a question. Here's a question because I, I brought this. This is a heavy book. I was going to let Lowett bring this up here. You want to take it back in a minute? So uh, somebody asked, well, if the grid goes down and you can't, if, you, you know, if the cyber world ends, um, how, how do you like look up verses in your Bible? Because everybody uses everything online. Well, this right here is a hard copy book. Look at it. This is called, for instance, Strong's Exhaustive Concordance of the Bible. This was written, uh, I think, around 1899 or so. Mr. Strong's, I forgot his first name. Um, but he annotated, uh, he, put a, he put a number by every word in the Bible. Started with one and went on. And, and man, there's thousands of words in Hebrew and Greek Bible, Hebrew and the Old Testament Greek. So what he did was, uh, you can look up, any, if you know a word in a scripture, then you could look it up in the Strong's Exhaustive Concordance and find that whole scripture. And then you also find the meanings of words. This is, I've had this book since the 70s. In fact, Susan and I had two and we gave one of them away because she got one and I got one when we were in Bible school. So stuff like this, you may need hard copy books. Read your hard copy Bible. What do you think about that if something happens? And uh, so here you go. So what do you do if the grid goes down? Get the old leather stuff back out and uh, you know, just have you some books. So uh, anyway, we, we got some exciting days ahead of us, but it's a day of preparation. How many get it? I got a whole lot more to say, but I'm going to stop. Maybe I'll stop that next time. Is that good? Did y'all get anything out of this? My, my, my. So Lord, we just thank you for your love and mercy and grace and, and your goodness to us. And um, Lord, help us not be sucked in to what is popular today. I, I pray, I ask you to help me. Lord, help us to be real with you, honest with you. Help us to to esteem your word more than our necessary food like Job said. I've esteemed the words of his lips more than my necessary food. Lord, help, help us to hunger for your word uh, more than a piece of bread, more than, more than a Bojangles biscuit. Help us to want you deeply. And Lord, help us not to wander into the paths that will pollute our minds. And cause us to live in ways that one day when we die, the gates of heaven would be locked to us. Help us not to absorb our culture. And I pray for anybody watching or in the room who has heard when I was talking about, Lord, the Nicolaitan believers or the Nicolaitans of first century. And then those who are compromising today and saying that what the Bible says is bad is not really all that bad now. Lord, I pray that you would enlighten us and draw us and show us what you think about how we're living, what we esteem, and what we do with our lives and lifestyle. I pray for the conviction of the Holy Spirit in my life and in the life of every person watching online and every person in this room, both today and at any point in the future, that the hand of the Lord would come upon each person. The conviction of the Holy Spirit would draw us away from anything that defiles us.
Help us to want you more than the very breath we breathe. In Jesus' name.